With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. You're now listening to the Destination Debbie Podcast. I present your host, Ray Garvin, the creator of Destination Debbie, and your go-to source for all things Debbie and college football. All right, welcome back for episode 29 of the Destination Devi Podcast. I am the host of this here Devi Dynasty Vessel, Ray Garvin. You know where to find me on Twitter at RayGQ. Make sure you're following the show at Destination Devi as well. I've got a lot of new followers this past weekend of the show, of my personal account. So for those of you who are new to the DDP, this show is everywhere you can listen to podcasts at, all right? iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. Anywhere you can listen to pods, the DDP is there, as well as on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. The DDP is a proud member of the DLF family of podcasts. There's a bunch of great Dynasty podcasts over there on DLF, so head on over to the website. Check out those other Dynasty-related podcasts. I've got written content on the site as well, so just stay tuned. A lot of good stuff going on at DLF. And for those of you who are joining me for the first time, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys jumping on here, giving this show a chance. And those of you who have been listening since day one, you know I appreciate that listening ear, man. It's It's been a hell of a ride, and we're going to keep this train going. And when you look at Week 10, Week 10 of college football, no Alabama, no Tua, no Jerry Judy, no Henry Ruggs, no Najee Harris, no Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell. LSU wasn't playing. Joe Burrow, what are we going to do? No Jamar Chase. Oh, my gosh. Oklahoma and Ohio State. No Justin Fields. No C.D. Lamb. No Jalen Hurts. I mean, college football has got to stink, right? 
You know, Wisconsin didn't play. No Jonathan Taylor. Just a, a terrible week. Terrible week to watch the game. Terrible for Debbie. Terrible for Dynasty. It was just a, you know, a bye week for college football. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Week 10 was awesome. Week 10 allowed us some time to sit back and check out some other of the lesser known prospects that we probably wouldn't pay attention to if we were watching Alabama and LSU, which we do get that treat this upcoming Saturday. So whatever you're doing, make sure you're tuned in to Alabama LSU. That is going to be a hell of a matchup. Can't wait for that one. But week 10, there was a lot of good stuff that happened in week 10. And we're going to talk about that today on the show. But I've been reminded, I've been reminded by a lot of people that, Ray, You've talked about wide receivers, you've talked about quarterbacks, you've talked about running backs, but we have yet to hear anything about these tight ends. And I'm sorry, I have failed you on the tight end front, and it's not because I haven't been paying attention to the tight ends, it's just the collegiate tight ends, the way they're used, the way that they are schemed open, schemed to get the ball, manufactured touches are just so different than what really happens at the next level at the NFL. But... There are some talented, and I mean talented, tight ends for this upcoming 2020 class, and there are some absolute superstars that are going to be coming out in 2021. And outside of the quarterback position, one of the hardest positions to project from the college to the pro game is the tight end position because of how they're used at the collegiate level. Now, your elite tight ends, you know, when you're looking at the NFL right now and you've got George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Hunter Henry, O.J. Howard, I know he hadn't done much this year, but coming into the season, he was viewed as a top, at least top eight tight end. You know, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, I said Zach Ertz, uh, Mark Andrews. I mean, these guys are the elite tight ends that we would want to have on our dynasty rosters. And they all have something in common outside of George Kittle, who is sort of the outlier, but uh, not looking at his production profile, but his athletic profile screamed, this guy could be a player at the next level. But when you look at players like, let's just go through Evan Ingram, right? At Ole Miss, this guy was, an, was a freak. I mean, he produced outstanding production numbers from his freshman season until he was done. His best season came in his final year. He had 65 receptions, 926 yards, and 8 TDs. That's outstanding for a tight end. Travis Kelsey at Cincinnati, his best season, 45 receptions, 722 yards, and 8 TDs. Zach Ertz, Stanford. You know, if you guys don't know, Stanford utilizes the tight end. David Shaw, I mean, it's like year after year. You've got Zach Ertz. You've got uh, uh, Austin Hooper. They've got another guy, Kobe Parkinson, this year. They consistently use their tight ends. Levine Toilolo was there at Stanford. But Zach Ertz at Stanford, 69 receptions, 898 yards, and 6 TDs. Hunter Henry at Arkansas, best season, 51 receptions, 739 yards, 3 TDs. O.J. Howard, his junior season at Alabama, 38 receptions, 602 yards, and 2 TDs. And then Mark Andrews, 62 receptions, 958 yards, and 8 TDs. Those are these guys' best statistical seasons at the collegiate level. Now, George Kittle's best statistical season, and he stayed on four years at Iowa, was 22 receptions, 314 yards, and four TDs. So his production was way down compared to these other guys. So by and large, if you were good in college at tight end, if you were, if you had the production and then you went to the combine and displayed, you know, average to above average athleticism, chances were that once you got to the NFL, you were going to do something at some point in time. And that's why I'm not giving up hope on players like Mike Gesicki. 
Mike Gesicki had a great day, a great game today in the NFL. So it's just showing that a lot of times these tight ends take two, three years to develop, but when they pop, they blow. You know, Hunter Henry had suffered injuries early in his career, but look at what he's doing now. Evan Ingram and Mark Andrews are the outliers who produced right away as rookies, and they're sort of that, you know, that new age move tight end. O.J. Howard shows so much potential, but whether it's Bruce Arians, whether it's O.J. Howard, he's not getting it done right now for Tampa Bay. Zach Ertz, I mean, he is just Mr. Steady, right? Catching those passes, getting those yards. So when you look at these collegiate tight ends and we're talking about 2020, for me, the guy that comes to the forefront as one of the most talented and productive players in this 2020 class from the tight end position is Purdue tight end Bryson Hopkins. And this past Saturday against Nebraska, he had eight receptions for 97 yards. On the season, he's got 42 grabs, 538 yards, and three TDs. He's six foot five, 245 pounds. He has an ability to play in line and he can split out wide. As the ex-wide receiver, I've seen him play inside the slot. He's just a very athletic, smooth tight end with that ideal size that we like. If I were ranking Bryson Hopkins with the 2019 class, who that was a very good, you know, low-key, a very good tight end class with TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. You had players like uh, the guy from the Texans who's hurt, Cahill Waring, uh, Dawson Knox, and Josh Oliver. If I were putting Bryson Hopkins in that 2019 class, I'd have him right behind TJ Hawkinson. That's how good I feel about Bryson Hopkins at the next level. If you go watch his film, I mean, the, the catches and the way that he can contort his body, the way that he can get open, I'm very high on Bryson Hopkins. He is my tight end one in this 2020 class. I know a lot of people have the Missouri tight end. A lot of people have Big Albert O as their tight end one, and I think a part of that is because he was kind of slotted there coming into the season, but there are other talented tight ends, and I'm not saying that he isn't, but for me, where we stand today, right now, Bryson Hopkins is my tight end one in the 2020 class, and right behind him is University of Washington tight end Hunter Bryant, and he's more in that Evan Ingram role. He doesn't have that prototypical size. He's 6'2", 6'3", 240 pounds, and he plays that kind of move tight end uh, role, sort of just like Evan Ingram did at Ole Miss in this past weekend, man. He had himself a game. Six receptions, 105 yards, and two TDs, 19.6 Dominator rating. And for those of you who don't, don't know what Dominator rating is, that measures the amount of receiving yards and touchdowns, total receiving yards and touchdowns that a player has, you know, amongst his entire offense. So it's showing exactly what the stat says. It's how dominant this player is, his dominator rating. 19.6 is pretty good. The threshold for wide receivers, which you like to see, is about 20. So for a tight end to be right there at that 20% dominator rating, which qualifies you for a breakout as a wide receiver tight end it's 15 so he's already broken out he's got a good dominator rating it shows that he is not only catching the passes he's scoring the touchdowns and on the season he's got 36 receptions 557 yards and three tds but hunter bryant looks really really good i think he's somebody who's going to be a day two pick probably a, a early second round pick. I don't see him falling out of the second round, but if he goes into a system where he's able to play that move tight end role, you don't want him in line blocking a whole bunch because he does not have that size. I think Hunter Bryant can be very effective for an NFL team and therefore produce fantasy points for your roster. 
another guy, an under-the-radar guy who comes from the same school that Travis Kelsey went to is Josiah DeGuara, a tight end out of Cincinnati. And his dominator rating this season is 28%. So if they're throwing the ball, there's a good chance he's getting it. And if they're scoring touchdowns, there's a good chance that he's catching them. This past weekend, two receptions, 76 yards, and one TD, but he had a 73-yard touchdown run. That shows me that he's got, you know, above average athleticism for a tight end to pull away for a 70 plus yard TD catch. That shows that he has got some wheels on him. And he ain't coming from that same school that Travis Kelsey did. He's an under the radar prospect, fifth year senior, but I am intrigued by him. On the season, 23 receptions, 396 yards, five TDs, six foot three, 240 pounds. So again, a little bit on the shorter side. He's not that six foot five like Bryson Hopkins. But at 240 pounds and displaying some of that, you know, above average athleticism gets you excited about that tight end. Now, the guy out of Notre Dame, Cole Komet, is a really solid tight end prospect. And he's a hell of a baseball player, too. Um, but he's got that prototypical size that you're looking for, 6'5 and a half, 250 pounds. This past weekend, he had four receptions, 28 yards and one TD. On the season, he's got a 22% dominator rating, which is fantastic. 27 receptions, 318 yards, 5 TDs. So, you know, good production stats. And remember what I told you about the guys in the NFL now. 900 yards, 700 yards, 800 yards, 700 yards, 600 yards, 900 yards. When you're talking about Ingram, Kelsey, Ertz, Henry, Howard, Andrews. So these guys are on pace to be on par with some of the elite tight ends in the NFL. But when you really want to talk about the absolute dynamic superstar potential tight ends, they're in the 2021 class, and it's a tie between two kids from the state of Florida, and I don't know which one I like better because both of them look fantastic. Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts, and I have been just blown away by the development and the smooth play of Kyle Pitts, and he has ridiculous size. He's like Jimmy Graham reincarnating six foot six 240 pounds he is only a sophomore not eligible until 2021 this past weekend against georgia four grabs for 78 yards 18.2 percent dominator rating on the season 39 receptions 469 yards and four touchdowns kyle pitts is a mismatch nightmare going into the game on saturday and he may still lead the team uh in these categories but going into that game he led the team in receptions led the team in yards, and was tied for the team lead in touchdowns. That just shows how dynamic this tight end, and I'm using air quotes when I say that, because they line Kyle Pitts up all over the place. Tight end, in line, slot receiver, X receiver, he plays all over the field. He is a stud, and I'm telling you, he is a bona fide, locked and loaded, first-round NFL draft pick, when and if he declares next year. Probably Brevin Jordan as well, who is also a stud. Last week versus Florida State, six grabs, 48 yards. He didn't score any touchdowns on the season, 12.4% dominator rating, so the lowest of this bunch, but 35 receptions, 495 yards, and two TDs. He's 6'3", 245, and if you watched him in that Florida State game, every time he got the ball, he was making defenders miss. Nobody was tackling him on the first go-around. His very first game against Florida, he was just absolutely dominant. Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts, I mean, if I lump them into the 2019 class, and I know everybody loves TJ Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson, the next this, TJ Hawkinson, the next that, I would take Kyle Pitts and Brevin Jordan over TJ Hawkinson 
any day of the week, and that's not a slight on TJ Hawkinson. I know people out there might disagree because that love for Hawk, everyone loved Hawk going into the season, and I think Hawk is a fantastic NFL tight end. He offers you, you know, that that versatility because he's a hell of a blocker and he can go out there and catch passes. But these are the guys who are going to score fantasy points. I'm not saying that Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts can't block, but you better utilize them and they're best utilized in the passing game, in the receiving game, getting out in space because they are athletic, is all outdoors, as was TJ Hawkinson. But if I had my choice between Kyle Pitts and Hawk, that'd be a tough one. But I'm going I'm going Pitts, and I'm probably going Brevin Jordan as well. And again, that's not a slight on TJ Hawkinson. I say all this to say the tight end position is in good hands. Even amongst this 2020 class, you may not have that TJ Hawkinson, but you've got players who are better projected than Dawson Knox, who I don't believe he scored a touchdown in his collegiate career in his final season at Ole Miss. I know it was low yardage, uh, low receptions, but you would want you would take Bryson Hopkins or or, or DeGuara or or Bre- uh, Hunter Bryant over a player like Dawson Knox or Josh Oliver, a converted defensive end at San Jose State. And I'm not slighting those guys. I think they're talented. But this 2020 class, is, as much as we talk about the running backs and the wide receivers, the tight ends are talented. And one guy that I didn't talk about, because it's just been an absolute, like, one. I, I think this is probably my biggest miss going into the 2019 season, is Grant Calcaterra. And I had him as my tight end one going into the season because he was dynamic last year with Kyler Murray. And I thought he was going to take that step forward this year, but it just hasn't materialized. Five receptions for 79 yards. No, that was not Saturday. That is on the season. I don't know what's going on down there. He most surely is going to declare because I don't know if it's going to get any better for him. But he's one of those guys, when you're looking at the George Kittle and the outliers, how did he slip You know, between the cracks? I think Calcaterra is going to test out of this world. He's going to look good at the combine. He's going to be fluid. And it's not like he doesn't have production behind his name. It just hasn't happened this year. So at six foot four, 233 pounds, he's not an inline guy. He's like a big wide receiver. He could be sort of that, and I'm not comparing him to George Kittle, but he could be one of those guys that slipped between the cracks just like George Kittle did. So overall, tight end position is in great hands over the next two years. All right, let's go into the 2020 class and talk about a couple of wide receivers who I believe are going to be values during your 2020 rookie draft next year. And the first name that I'm going to say is somebody who everybody was really high on coming into the season. And for whatever reason, the shine, the allure of this prospect has sort of fizzled and faded away. And he's just been pushed down and down and down. And there are some places where I don't even see him ranked as a top 10 wide receiver in the 2020 class, and I tweeted about him last uh, last weekend. It's Brian Edwards, the wide receiver out of South Carolina, who he has one of the earliest breakout ages ever recorded at 17 years old in nine months. Breakout age is, you know, that is a byproduct of your dominator rating. Once you break out and have hit that 20% threshold, that qualifies you for a breakout season. And he did that as a freshman at South Carolina at 17 years old. He had 44 receptions, 590 yards as a true freshman. He's a senior now. Debo Samuel is out of the way. In this season, he is on pace for his best statistical season. Without injury, he is going to eclipse that 1,000-yard mark that has eluded him throughout his career. He's got 62 grabs, 729, 26 yards, averaging 11.7 yards of reception and five TDs. 
He also performs on special teams, but Brian Edwards, 6'3", 220 pounds, he's going to be somebody that, you know, I, I don't know how he's going to test. I know coming out of high school, he was verified around the 4'5 four, 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 range, and players do get faster, players get quicker, players get stronger, but it, it doesn't, you know, if he runs a 4'5", or, or even a low 4'6", I don't think that is a, a death sentence for Brian Edwards. There are a lot of people out there who who aren't enamored with him because he hasn't, you know, had that monstrous season, but he's been consistent, and to keep it real, South Carolina's quarterback uh, quarterback play has been downright, you know, kind of atrocious, and Ryan Holinsky taking over has definitely helped Brian Edwards, but he's somebody who I believe that can can provide you a screaming value in your dynasty rookie drafts next year because I think he is going to be a good pro. He just looks like a pro receiver. Does he look like an all pro? Does he look like, you know, you know, a top five NFL wide receiver? I, I'm not going to go that far and say that, but he definitely looks somebody who could be, if you're, if you're telling me that he could be a better version of a Muhammad Sanu, you know, a more explosive Sanu as a, as a consistent wide receiver too on an NFL team, that's somebody who has value on your fantasy roster. And I have, you know, I myself have been down on Brian Edwards and I can't figure out why. And I've actually moved him up because all he's done since he stepped foot in South Carolina is produce. And I, I'm very, I for one, am very excited about his prospectus at the next level. Another guy, another one of those older prospects who I believe is going to provide value in your Dynasty Rookie Drafts next year is SMU wide receiver James Prochet. He's six foot, 190 pounds. So he's not, you know, he doesn't have that prototypical size, but again, a producer. And last year, I mean, he went nuts. 93 receptions, almost 1,200 yards, one yard away from 1,200. So 1,199 yards, 12 TDs, averaging 12.9 yards of reception. Sort of that security blanket out there at SMU. He's a fifth-year senior, redshirted his first year. Then SMU has a history of producing good wide receivers. Cole Beasley, Cortland Sutton, Emmanuel Sanders. They've got another guy, Reggie Roberson Jr. But this season, Prochet has taken his game to the next level. He's got 74 grabs, 841 yards, 10 TDs already on the season. He, too, is on his way to his best statistical output. SMU is looking good. You know, a hard-fought game versus Memphis this past weekend. They lost that one. But Prochet went off in that contest. He had seven, he had, excuse me, 13 grabs for 141, 49 yards and one TD. He's somebody that, you know, he might not even get drafted in your four-round dynasty rookie draft. If he does, it's going to be, you know, third, fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft. And he's somebody that I believe can, you know, have that Terry McLaurin-like impact because he has sure hands. He can run the entire route tree. He's not the most explosive wide receiver, but he knows how to get open. And nobody's talking about James Prochet right now. He's not going to go to the combine and blaze it up. So he's somebody that you may be, be able to acquire later on in your rookie drafts to help your team out. You know, stash them on the taxi squad. Just let them sit, let them grow, let them develop, and you might have a player on your hands in a couple of years. Now, one of my personal favorite sleeper prospects, and I hope he declares, is Oregon State's junior wide receiver, Isaiah Hodgins. This guy, I'm telling you, he's got that prototypical size that you're looking for. Six foot four, 210 pounds, and he has been another man on a tear this year. Saturday, he had seven grabs, 150 yards, two more touchdowns. On the season, he's got 63 for 895, averaging 14.2 yards of reception with 12 touchdowns. 
I mean, he's a double-move king. This guy leaves defensive backs, I mean, breaking ankles, double-move double king. He can go up and get the ball at six foot four, but he plays like a, like a smaller wide receiver. His ability to make plays happen after the catch, his ability to break down and throttle, decelerate in and out of his cuts, in and out of his routes. Isaiah Hodgins is somebody that, man, if, if he's one guy that I believe I will be able to get on every single dynasty roster that I want because he's going to be in the third round and I'm accumulating so many third and fourth round picks in this 2020 class. But Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State, if you haven't seen him play, just type his name in in YouTube and you're going to feel what I'm trying to tell you. You're going to feel what I'm trying to convey when I say this guy is going to be a very, very good pro for your for an NFL team and he's going to be a very good asset to have on your dynasty rosters in the near future. All right, so I've been thinking long and hard about this segment and how I wanted to convey this and how I wanted to get these thoughts out and get this information out to you guys and uh, you know, at first it started off at the case for the most explosive running back, and it was two players, and then it, it evolved to three, and now I'm at six. So I just want to talk for a minute about these 2020 running backs, and I've got to tell you right now, okay, at the end of the college football season, I'm going to do a recap of 2020, but once the season's over, I'm done talking about 2020. You know, I'll do a show talking about some of these guys after the combine and pro day, and then of course the NFL draft. But this is a Debbie show, so once the season ends and the NFL season is over, every fantasy football podcast, every dynasty-related podcast, they're shifting their attention to the incoming rookies, the 2020 class. I'm moving on to 2021, 2022, and 2023. You guys know where to go if you want to hear about 2020 prospects. I've been talking about that all summer throughout the season, but once this ends... We're on to the next. I got to get you guys ready for your Debbie drafts. I got to get you guys ready for the recruits that are signing their letters of intent. So I've got to give you as much 2020 stuff now because it's going to it's going to tail off once the seasons are done for the DDP. But when we're talking about the 2020 running backs, I wanted to sort of make the case for who is the most explosive running back in this class. And the reason why is as I sit back tonight, as I sat back today and watched these NFL games, and I look at players like Tyreek Hill, I look at players who have elite level speed, or not even just the elite level speed, but are very, very fast. And of course, the caveat to this is you have to be good at football, right? That like That is the number one caveat, be good at football. But if you're good at football and you have you know very good to elite to above average speed, you can get manufactured touches in the NFL. I, I saw so many times today where wide receivers were just getting behind defensive backs. It's so hard. Having played corner in college, the hardest thing to do is, is play. Defensive back is hard as hell, especially when you're man to man. The receiver knows where he wants to go, and you're playing backwards. You're, you're moving backwards, trying to stay in front of somebody who knows where they want to go. They're setting you up, and that's why I respect the great ones like Darrell Revis and Stephon Gilmore, what he's doing with the Patriots. But if you've got speed to get behind these defensive backs who have no clue what you're going to do, I mean, that is an invaluable skill set. And of course, you're good at football. Man, you can make plays at the next level. Even, even players that I didn't think were that good, they're fast as hell, and they're out there making plays. So when you're looking at these running backs, 
I wanted to make the case for the most explosive running back who could potentially be in our 2020 rookie drafts. All of these guys have an opportunity to come back, so we do not know if they're going to declare or not, but I'm going on the assumption that these guys are going to declare, and what I looked at are explosive plays, plays eight yards or more that these guys had. I kind of looked at the reception totals and their total touches, so let's just run through it. Jonathan Taylor, Jr., running back out of Wisconsin. On the season, he's got 46 plays of eight-plus yards, and six of those 46 have gone over 21 yards. He also has 17 receptions for 143 yards and four TDs. You know, one of those areas that we wanted to see JT improve on, he's done that. On the season, he's got 194 total touches. And breaking these touches down, I kind of wanted to see how long these players were playing for, how long these running backs were actually in the game for. So 194 total touches. He has 46 46 touches in the third quarter and 20 in the fourth, all right? So explosive plays, 46, six over 21 yards. Let's move on to Travis Etienne. Now, Travis Etienne went nuts this week against Wofford. I I know, it's Wofford. Level of competition, not good. But he did what he was supposed to do. He played really, really, really really well. He had nine carries, 212 yards, and two TDs. That's just (laughs) ridiculous, right? Every time he touched the ball, he was breaking like a 50-yard run. His explosive plays on the season, he's got 51 plays of eight-plus yards, and 12 plays over 21 yards. Another area that we wanted to see ETN improve on, his receptions. He's got 18 for 179 and 1. Love to see that uh, from a player who said he was scared to catch the ball. On the season, he's got 141 total touches. 33 have come in the third quarter, and he's only got four in the fourth quarter. So keep that in mind. Now let's go to DeAndre Swift, who had like, 40 carries for 80 yards this week against Florida. It just was not a good game for Georgia on the ground. But DeAndre Swift, I've been adamant about him being my running back one, and nothing has changed from that. But I am starting to think think about some things just a little bit, all right? So explosive plays on the season for Mr. Swift. He's got 47 plays of 8-plus yards. 10 of those plays have gone 21 yards or more. He's got 14 receptions for 172 and one touchdown. Not worried about Swift's receiving ability. I mean, he's caught the ball since his true freshman year, sharing a backfield with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and all of those guys. He's got 149 total touches on the season. 31 have come in the third quarter and 28 in the fourth. Now let's go to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and talk about Mr. Chuba Hubbard who had himself another game. He had 20 carries, 223 yards, and two TDs versus TCU. Explosive plays on the season for Mr. Hubbard. I really thought his was going to be like 60-70, but he's at 47. 15 of those 47 have gone over 21 yards. Now, this is, this is I mean, he's got 246 total touches on the season, so 100 more touches than DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne on the season. 65 have come in the third quarter and 61 in the fourth. Now let's go to Tallahassee and talk about Cam Akers. Cam Akers on the season has 52 explosive plays over eight yards. Eight of those have gone 21 yards or more. He's got 24 receptions for 174 yards and four TDs. He has over 200 total touches on the season. He's got 220. 69 have come in the third quarter and 46 in the fourth. And then let's move on to J.K. Dobbins, right? So these are my top six running backs, and that is not in order. J.K. Dobbins, explosive plays on the season, eight-plus yards. He's got 51. 13 of them have gone 21 yards or more. He's got 13 receptions, 132 yards, and two TDs. 
Dobbins is somebody that, again, I'm not concerned about his receiving ability because he's done that since his true freshman year at Ohio State. He's got 166 total touches on the season, 30 have come in the third, and in the fourth quarter, he's got 14. So, the leader in total explosive plays, eight-plus yards of these six, is Cam Akers. He edges out uh, J.K. Dobbins uh, by one, so he's got 52. The leader in plays over 21 yards is Chuba Hubbard with 15, but Chuba Hubbard also eclipses everybody in total touches. He is the leader with 246. The fewest total touches amongst these six are Travis Etienne. He's only got 141, and he's only touched the ball four times in the fourth quarter and 30 times in the third quarter, which, you know, 33 times in the third quarter, which tells me, you know, halftime Clemson is blowing people out. So he's not even, he's not in the game. He's not getting the ball. DeAndre Swift, only 149 total touches on the season. So when you're looking at the most explosive players, Cam Akers and Chuba Hubbard by far have had more opportunities than even Jonathan Taylor. JT's not even up over 200 total touches on the season. So Chuba and you know Cam Akers, they should have more explosive plays because they're getting the ball almost over 100 times more than Travis Etienne and close to that for DeAndre Swift. When I'm watching the tape, when I'm watching the film, the, the most explosive guys are Travis Etienne speed-wise and Chuba Hubbard. I mean, it's it's unreal what these guys can do once they get into the open field. And going back to to sort of what I was talking about in watching Tyreek Hill today and some of these fast NFL players who are good at football, man, when you've got home run ability like that, when you can just, I mean, put your foot in the ground and be gone. I mean, it's smoke. It's dust. No one's catching you. Man, that's, that is tantalizing talent. And all of these guys are good at football. Cam Akers is great at football. Travis Etienne is great at football. DeAndre Swift is great at football. It's really going to come down to, and I hate to use, you know, and I don't want to call it a cop-out, but landing spot. Where are these guys going to end up if they all declare? What if Travis Etienne goes to Kansas City? I mean, can you imagine that? Or DeAndre Swift or Chuba Hubbard? or can't, If any of these guys end up with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill, they're probably going to be the one-on-one outside of Superflex drafts because they're all tier one running backs. So if Cam Akers gets drafted by KC in the second round, he's my one-on-one outside of Superflex formats. If Chuba Hubbard gets picked by Kansas City, he's you, you get what I'm saying here. But... When you're just talking about explosive plays, Travis Etienne, DeAndre Swift, Chuba Hubbard, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, they're all right there. Yes, Chuba and Cam have had more opportunities, but these guys are all explosive. But I just wanted to shed a little insight on what these guys have done at this point through 10 weeks of college football as far as being explosive, being dynamic, and there's more to come. All of these guys are absolute studs. Get them. Get them, get them. Before I let you guys go, I want to highlight a freshman real quick out of Texas A&M. His name is Isaiah Spiller. Now, Texas A&M played UTSA this past weekend. So, again, level of competition, not high. But Isaiah Spiller had 20 carries, 217 yards, and three TDs. Who the heck is Isaiah Spiller? Well, first of all, he's six foot one, 220 pounds. So he has that prototypical three down back size that we covet at the next level. You know, he can run between the tackles, 
out of high school, he was verified, verified as a as a 4.5840 yard dash, which for somebody at 200 you know, 220 pounds, that's, that's pretty doggone good speed. And, you know, surprise, surprise, people do get faster once they get into a collegiate weight training program and work with speed coaches. So there's no doubt in my mind that Isaiah Spiller is going to be able to increase that four, five, eight speed. And he looked plenty fast enough this past weekend on the season, 89 carries 450 yards and five TDs. Just keep your keep your eye out, man. These these 2022 running backs. You got Isaiah Spiller. You've got Brees Hall. Kenneth Gainwell may stay. Uh, you got players like Elijah Collins, and then of course the names that we know: Jerry on Ely and John Emery Jr. Trey Sanders, who those three haven't shown much up until this point. I know Trey Sanders is out for the season. Zach Charbonnet, man. This this class. DJ Williams out of Auburn. 2022, don't sleep on that. So, you know, these are players that you're going to be drafting in your Debbie drafts next year. So Isaiah Spiller, jot that name down, add him to the list because he looks like he might be something. All right, you guys that don't know me or haven't been following me long on Twitter, I'm all about the positivity. I post out positive vibes to start your day quotes. I haven't done that lately. I've got a newborn at the house, so life has been hectic, but I'm all about positivity, man. I don't get on Twitter and argue. I don't try to convince people to like who I like, man. This is a fun hobby that I enjoy doing. I'm passionate about college football. Because of college football, I was able to get an education and you know have the life and, and the career that I have now. So I'm so grateful to the game and what it's afforded me. So I'm all about leaving my listeners with positivity. And today, this one comes from the man, Dwayne Johnson, the rock himself. Success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness will come. And that's something that I truly live by, man. Just be consistent and no matter what you do, keep working hard and great things are going to happen. When I started this podcast, I had no clue that I would have the amount of listeners and the, the ears that I have today and the doors that it's open for me. And it was not easy. It didn't come overnight. But I promise you, with how hard I'm working, with the support of you guys, with the feedback from you guys... This is going to be the greatest Debbie podcast in the world, period. And I'm committed to that. I hope you guys are here with me. You're along for the ride. Hey, some 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 news. I've got some DDP shirts coming, so I want to give that out to some of the listeners. I'll let you guys know how you can get one of those sent to you. But hey, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Start your Monday off right. Be positive. Treat people right. But I'm rambling now. You know what's next. Drop the music.